Sometimes uh, testimonies, and I think uh, Brother Cromie mentioned this last week as well. <clears throat> uh, someone might say, well, you're just bragging. He says, well, no, I'm making my boast in the Lord. And uh, that's what a testimony should be, how God has worked in your life to bring you to the point of salvation and then from there to be using you uh, in, uh, in the Lord's work. And uh, so it's interesting that our first study is going to be called Tooting Your Own Horn. First uh, Kings chapter 1. And uh, we'll be looking at this, and we'll go as far as we can this morning. And I, I don't mind uh, uh, not being able to complete the first lesson if we can't get there. But uh, um, I, I think it's important for us to hear these testimonies. Uh, it's interesting about uh, getting older. Uh, you know you're getting old when uh, everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. Uh, you know you're getting old when the gleam in your eyes or eye is from the sun hitting your bifocals. Uh, you know you're getting old when you finally reach the top of the ladder and find it's leaning against the wrong wall. Or you look forward to a dull evening. You know you're getting old. Or you sit in a rocking chair and you can't get it going. Or your knees buckle but your belt won't. And you sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. You know you're getting old. Well, you know you're getting old when your heart doesn't start to, or starts to wear out too. And uh, I, I'm saying, isn't getting old great? Well, we're thankful for the years that God has given to us and we trust that... Uh, We'll use these years for his honor and for his glory. As we come to the study of 1 Kings, we find David in the winter of his uh, years of his life. Uh, the shadows of the grave are getting closer. David's getting older. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the aging David. So in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. I don't know if you can understand or relate to that, some of you. But uh, David is, it says, is old and stricken in years. The word stricken means run down. And until recently, I knew I was getting old, or older, but so uh, not so old as to be stricken described as stricken. Uh, then I found out as I studied this that David was probably about 70 years old. Guess what? I just celebrated 70 years last month. Um, just turned 70 and I've been feeling rather stricken lately. But I know that we have some folks here that are older than 70. And I thank God for allowing them to be with us, God giving them the years to, to be here, to be an example to us, uh, to be an example of godly living, even in the winter of their lives. 
But as far as David is concerned, the years of suffering and conflict and grief have taken toll on his life. He had had victories over the lion, the bear, the giant, the armies. Those victories were all memories now. He once was a robust warrior. Now he's feeble and he's weak. He has a circulation problem. They cover him with clothes and he got no heat. So he's having a hard time staying warm. Well, sometimes it's stress that can sponge the life out of a person. In David's case, much of the stress came from his sin, from his disobedience to the Lord. And the same thing can happen to us if we live a carnal life. Sin creates stress. Psalm 107, verse 17, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Proverbs 13 and verse 15, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Romans 2 and verse 9, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. And I want you to notice two things that we ought to be aware of as we get older, physically and even spiritually. First of all, We need to be yielded to him, yielded to God. God wants to to give us rest and peace in our lives. The rest comes from being broken by the Lord and yielded to him. And uh, I'm going to use an illustration here uh, uh, of breaking a wild horse. Now, if you think... What do you think of when you break a wild horse? You think maybe of those old uh, Western TV uh, programs from the 1950s where some guy gets on a horse and he starts riding it and, and he gets bucked off and he gets back on and he gets bucked off again and, and everybody's uh, laughing at him. And finally, he's just, he stays on and he stays on and finally the horse calms down and he's broken. Okay? Well, that's not the only way to break a horse. One way to break a horse is to put a saddle on the horse and leave it on there for a month. And then the horse kind of gets used to that saddle. And the cowboy is patient and he speaks to the horse in gentle tones. Finally, he puts the bit in the horse's mouth and he probably, uh, after two months, begins to mount the horse. Now really, those are... Uh, some principles that you'll find are biblical principles uh, from Matthew chapter 11. These are familiar verses, I think, that uh, uh, most of us would be familiar with as far as uh, these verses. Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We yield ourselves to the Lord as we get older, physically, spiritually. The second thing we notice here is being dependent upon the Lord, dependent on Him. Again, he wants to give us peace and he wants to give us rest by 
depending upon Him for our needs. Now, what is it that bothers you about getting old? Is it health problems? Is it the loss of youth? Is it the loss of friends because they are dying? Is it the loss of your abilities? Is it getting closer to death yourself? You know, any of these concerns should certainly motivate us in our younger years. You know, sometimes young people think, wow, I've got a long way to live, you know. Uh, I've got a lot of years left. I used to kind of think that way myself. Not thinking that way quite so much anymore. I'm wondering, you know. But uh, as we're younger, especially our younger people, I, I, I you know, I encourage you to be thinking about uh, making your life count for Christ while your body is strong, while you don't have those common health problems that some of us older folks are dealing with. Live your life for God and start while you're young. And I'm grateful to the Lord that I was saved, like, like Isaac uh, testified this morning, he was saved at a un- young age. And I started living for the Lord uh, at a young age. I'm thankful for that because uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember now the, thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil day, days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And so we find the aged, aging David here. And it's interesting that he's really, you think about it, 70, that's not that old, is it? Ken? Some of you folks that have long past 70 years old, if we ask Bob, you know, is 70 old? Oh, Bob would say, no. I was still you know, cutting wood and hunting raccoons and, and doing all kinds of things. But uh, David's getting old. The Bible tells us he's old and stricken in years. And much of that came from the life that he had lived. Well, the second thing we notice here is that an attendant is sought. See this in verses 2 through 4. It says, Wherefore his servants said unto him, Let there be sought for my lord, the king, a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie in thy bosom, that my lord, the king, may get heat. So they sought for a fair damsel throughout all the coast of Israel, and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king, and the damsel was very fair, and cherished the king, and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. Now, this was the uh, situation here, uh, the, a medical solution for the chills that David had, was to use the body heat of another to keep that person warm. And so David's servants conduct a Miss Israel contest, and uh, they pick Abishag. She was very beautiful. She was a young woman, became part of, of David's, well, we don't know exactly what he, she became. 
We're not told exactly what her place was, but it does say, tell us here that he knew her not. He did not have intimate relationships with her. And although some don't think so, it's possible, it's possible that he did marry David. That was a practice in those days of having multiple wives. And by today's standards, or even by the New Testament, it speaks of being the husband of one wife. And it, we might think that would have been improper. But she was cherished, and she cared for the king, and she did keep him warm. Now Solomon talks about that. We saw that in the book of Ecclesiastes, where it says two are better than one. And so that's kind of the principle here that is, going, is being used. My voice is still not back 100%. So, But what about this thing about polygamy? What about having multiple wives? Why, uh, why do we find that in, in the Bible? What about that? Let me just kind of go off from our study here because I think that this raises a question and something that we can and uh, probably need some understanding in. Polygamy is the plurality of wives or husbands. Polygamy is the word that comes from two words, two Greek words, polos and gamos, meaning many marriages. And through certain old, even though certain Old Testament believers practiced this, it was always condemned by God. I just noticed some things that, about this in the Bible. God ordained one woman, one man, marriage in the beginning. Now you find that back in Genesis chapter 2. Man should uh, leave his, his parents and cleave to his, his wife. And that was yeah, it's the one flesh principle there. So you have that very beginning in Genesis chapter 2. One woman, one man. And then polygamy originated with the son of rebellious Cain. Who was that son? It was Lamech. Find that in Genesis 4. He took two wives. So it came out of, you know, Cain's family, which was not uh, uh, a godly family. And then concerning David and some of the other Old Testament saints, they had plural wives. You'll find that throughout, whenever that happened, there was heartache and trouble. We find that in Genesis and then 1 Samuel, 1 Kings. You find the trouble and the heartache. And then God had forbidden kings to multiply wives. You find that in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And David, Solomon, other kings had multiple wives. Solomon, he really went overboard, didn't he? Supposed to be the wisest man that ever lived. Sometimes you kind of wonder about that. Well, you do find that most men of God, even in the Old Testament, had only one wife. Adam only had one wife. Noah, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Boaz, Job, Isaiah, Hosea. And so uh, this was what God's will was for these men, and some went against God's will. 
In the New Testament, there's no example of a godly Christian, ha Christian having more than one wife. You, never, you will never find that in the New Testament. But what you will find, those who have more than one wife would be forbidden to hold church leadership positions. And that's what we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And so I believe these very these uh, uh, characteristics or these uh, things that God put down, principles that God put down, shows us that God was against polygamy. And those who practiced that were disobeying God, even though they're thought to be godly men. And David, I believe, is one of the examples of that. So if this young woman was became his wife, we don't know, but uh, they did uh, use her to, uh, to be a blessing to, uh, to David. That brings us to the ambition of Adonijah, verse 5. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king, and he prepared him chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zerurai, Aiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah, they following Adonijah helped him. Let's we'll skip down to verse 9. And Adonijah drew, uh, slew, slew, slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zohileth, which is Enrogel, and called all his brethren and the king's sons and all the men of Judah the king's servants. Now, Adonijah exalts himself. Here's where we get the tooting of your own horn. Adonijah would toot his own horn. He said, I will be the king. Here is David. He's nearing his deathbed. And his pro home problems have plagued him. And here's another son who wants to take the throne. Adonijah is following the path that Absalom followed. He's a less deceitful than his brother, but he's still motivated by pride. And he's handsome, he's got a high opinion of himself, and his will is unchecked. You see that in verse 6. His father had not displeased him at any time in saying, why hast thou done so? His father, David, had spoiled him, had not disciplined him. Now Amnon was the first son, and he's dead. Absalom's command had killed him. There's another son, uh, Chaliab, is believed to have died at an early age. But Absalom was killed by Joab. And so Adonijah is the next in line for the, the throne, and he assumes, I'm going to be the king. And so he begins to exalt himself and toot his own horn. But he had forgotten the God factor. You see, he's not God's man. He's not a part of God's will. He's not a part of God's plan for the nation of Israel. 
And so we see a couple of lessons here already. Number one, the folly of exalting yourself. When you toot your own horn and you lift yourself up, you will eventually fall down and your glory will fade. <laughs> That's an interesting word, that glory. You know, we often use that in talking about glory, glory to God, uh, glorifying God in your life. I saw a commercial recently. It was, it was uh, I don't even know what it was about, but the big line through it was, glorify yourself. You know, they were trying to make uh, people buy this product or do this uh, particular thing. And they said, glorify yourself. And I thought, that just doesn't seem right. You know, that goes against what God's word says. We're not to glorify ourselves. We're to bring glory to God. It's interesting, uh, illustrating that there was a fellow by the name of Ptolemy. He was an astronomer and a mathematician of the second century, and he decided to build the, the pharos or a lighthouse. And he chose Sostratus to design this huge lighthouse and became later one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ptolemy ins insisted that the lighthouse should bear his inscription as a personal memorial. And yet Sostratus didn't think the king should get all the credit. So he put the title of Ptolemy on the front of the lighthouse with thick plaster, because everybody would see that right away at first. But later, that would all be worn away by the elements of the weather. And secretly, Sostratus had cut his own name in granite underneath that plaster. And so for decades, the sea would dash against the plaster inscription, and gradually it all eroded away. And though it lasted for the lifetime of Ptolemy, it finally was gone, obliterated, and leaving only the name of Sostratus. Very bold and very clear in that granite. World fame often disappears before the relentless waves of time. Now, there are some scriptural warnings about exalting self. One is Luke 14, 11, for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Proverbs 17, verse 19, he loveth transgression for, that loveth strife, and he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What is God's advice? 1 Corinthians 10, 12, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. In Proverbs 30, verse 32, if thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. And I think there's good advice there. There are times when we think, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let everybody know. Just put your hand over your mouth. Don't be tooting your own horn. Well, I think another thing that we see here, how his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, this is really a nice way of saying his father had not, uh, had not uh, disciplined him. And so there's a failure to discipline uh, shown here. That's a principle that we find here. This applies especially to 
your children because when you fail to discipline your children, you're showing hatred for them. Now that sounds a little bit strange perhaps, and maybe it's totally politically incorrect today, but that's what God says. Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. So why does this failure to discipline show hate? Because your kids will grow up expecting to have their own way, and that's just not going to happen. They will be selfish and irresponsible and wild and unhappy and frustrated, and they'll have difficulty getting along with other people, and their actions will lead to broken marriages and difficulty and even keeping a difficulty and keeping a job perhaps even end them up in jail or imprisonment because of a failure to discipline. And that's the problem that we see in our country today. Young people have not been disciplined as children, and that's why they're ending up like they are. And by the way, it's not because police think that black men need to be shot. It's because these black men were not raised in home, godly homes and they're getting into trouble, and they're going against the law that's been established. Uh, that's a whole other thing. Don't get me started. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen: The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. In verse 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he will give thee delight to thy soul. And so you have here a couple of principles, and I think that's where we need to stop today, and we'll pick it up here, Lord willing, next week. And uh, I trust that uh, the study that we see here will be a, a blessing to us. Let's bow in prayer.